such a beautiful day today that we can come together to worship, to be in your word, fellowship afterwards. God, you are so great. Uh, your grace, your forgiveness, uh, you know, putting up with us in our sin nature. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've left to us, Lord, to guide us through the steps and the journeys that we have. Lord, and uh, it is it is so great to be in the house, in your house, Lord, that we may worship you. And uh, we look forward to the promise that you have given us of eternal life through the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross for us. Through his blood, we are righteous before you. So thank you. We give this day to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And Paul, will you come? For the reading of Psalm 14, it's in your pew Bibles on page 534, if you would like to follow along. Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. They have no knowledge. All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. There they are in great terror. For God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. And I know when we sing, some of us like to sit, some of us like to stand, and I just invite you just to, the songs go pretty quickly today, I invite you to stand, if, but if you feel like sitting, you can, but let's just, I don't, I don't do this part very often, so, all right, so, but we're standing here, so let's just, I'm going to read Catechism question 10, and then you can follow in with the answer and the shorter answer today. So the question today is, what does God desire or require in the fourth and the fifth commandments? And our answer is... Here we go. Fourth, that on the Sunday, we spend time in public and private worship of God, rest from routine employment, serve the Lord and others, and so anticipate the eternal Sabbath. Fifth, that we love and honor our father and mother, submitting to their godly discipline and direction. And the shorter answer Fourth, that on the Sabbath day, we spend time in worship of God. Fifth, that we love and honor our father and mother. And the scripture, I'll just read it to you today as we continue in the word, comes from Leviticus 19, verse 3. Every one of you should revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Amen. Let's... Let's sing as we consider.
come into your presence with thanksgiving and to your courts with praise. And that's what we want to do, Father. And these songs that we've sung state so many of the reasons that we need to come to you. You are our creator. You are our God. You are good. You are the one that gives us all things. And our desire is to exalt you in everything. So I thank you specifically for the things even being taught this morning. The fact that you created what you call the Sabbath, a day set aside mm -hmm. to acknowledge you in worship of you and to cause us to, ca to turn our eyes your direction rather than looking at meeting our own needs and wants. So we thank you that you understood us, that we needed for not only honoring you, but for our benefit to be told, come, worship me, praise me, be thankful unto me. And I thank you for that, Jesus. And may you be honored and glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So sometimes I like to joke with you and, and standing, that's not punishment, you know, like I have to stand, so now you have to stand. That's not, you know, I, I just know, I don't know about you, but when it comes to singing, I sing better standing. I really do. And uh, and it just it just frees me up. And, and so... I really want to encourage you with that, just, uh, just, just to think about our, not that standing is the only way we can worship God in song, but um, I, I really want to encourage us as we're, especially as we're going through these catechism questions, that, that we would allow the Lord to challenge um, not just our need to worship, but actually how we do it. And how we how we really come before the Lord today. And so today, as we uh, as we continue the questions, and the the question that we ask today is this. And the, the shorter answer, uh, the shorter uh, well, the question is is what does God require in the fourth and the fifth commandments? And it's very interesting to me as we're as we're all of this is put together that these two commandments were really lumped together. And I really I, I really hope you catch the. Uh, the, 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 the depth of why these two, because we are moving from the first three, the first three commandments, or, which are really all about God and worshiping God, into um, the fourth, which is to observe the Sabbath day, and then right into the fifth, which is honor your father and mother. And it's a very interesting transition in the commandments. And I, so I just want you to know today that as, as we work our way through the Ten Commandments, um, we find that there is no escaping the essential order of how they are put together. Okay, it's um, it, uh, the, the first three, as I've just said, um, have to do with one thing and one thing only, and it is the worship of God. And we just need to get that. We need to catch that. We need to understand that. The first three commandments are all about God and who he is and his desire, his command for us to worship him to depend on him, to surrender to him, to yield our hearts to him. It's so important. It is our worship. They represent an uncompromising call to live in a real, committed, day-to-day, heart-gripping, life-shaping awe of God. The first three commandments, that's what they're all about. Okay, And I say it that way. They represent an uncompromising call to live a real, committed, day-to-day, 
heart-gripping, life-shaping awe of God. Why do I say it that way? Because we lose it so quickly. All of us, okay? Why? Why? Because only when, why does God put so much emphasis here in the beginning? Only when the awe of God rules our hearts will we set everything else in our lives in its rightful place. Only when God is in his rightful place will then everything else fall into right order. Okay? I don't know about you, but I battled with this this week. It's not ironic that I'm preaching about it, okay? I just want you to know every single day of our lives we battle with this idea of placing God and keeping God in that first place, in our hearts and our lives, in all that we say and all that we do, all that we think. Because when, he, when God is in his rightful place, everything else falls into place, and there is joyful, perseverant obedience. Just please understand this. Joyful, perseverant obedience only ever grows in the soil of worship. Okay? So here's something that, that I read not too long ago. That, that, that um, and I am, I'm going to misquote it, but the idea is obedience, obedience is the gift. Obedience, see, we, we have it all backwards, you guys. We think of obedience as a have to. Obedience is our response to a God who created us. Obedience is our response to a God who loves us. Obedience is our response to a God who has a plan for us, who's given us a purpose and a direction. Obedience is a response. It's a gift that we need to catch and understand. So worship is not just something that we occasionally do. And, and, and unfortunately, in our 21st century view of church, we've kind of boiled worship down to something that happens on Sunday if, in fact, I actually even go to church that day. We've kind of boiled it down. To, and, and really, when we, a lot of people, when they think of worship, they think of music. Folks, today we have worshipped God, and I've barely started to preach. We've worshipped Him in the reading of the Word, and in prayer, and in in uh, in Scripture, and in, in all of the different ways that we have acknowledged God and honored God already. Worship has already begun. You know, I've grown up in church my whole life. Okay, since diapers. All right, that's twenty-five years, plus a few more. Okay, um, but here's the deal. You know, in my growing up in church and going to other churches while I was in college, one of the things that I, that I noticed a lot is the amount of people who really didn't show up till the service was already going. Because what they really thought was that, well, church really doesn't happen for me until preaching starts. And I just want to say, you're sorely missing out. Okay, because church is about connection and unity and the body coming together and fellowshipping and greeting one another and then coming in with a mind that's prepared and prepped to come into the presence of God. And by the way, folks, here's the deal. You brought him with you. He didn't come. He's not just here in this room. You brought him with you. So it's not just something that we do. Rather, it's the foundation of who we are. And because worship uh, because we worship um, our way through every moment of every day, our hearts are not given over to, uh, if our hearts are not given over to the worship of God, I'm just going to tell you this, okay? We will give our hearts over 
to the worship of something or someone else. We will. I guarantee you. Bob Dylan sang it. you got to serve somebody. Worship is serving. Do you understand that? You will serve somebody or something. You have to. It's been, you were hardwired to worship. All of us are hardwired to worship. So whatever, whatever captures the awe of our hearts will set the agenda for the things that we desire, the things that we think about, the, the things that we choose, the things that we say, and the things that we do. Folks, it is so intertwined. So the moral, the, the, the moral life of every human is driven and shaped by, by awe, and that is either awe of God or awe of something in God's creation. And that's the beginning. That's just the beginning point. You shall have no other God. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other God before me. That's just the beginning point. And there's, there's much, much more to this. You see, the fourth commandment, as we work our way down through it, I want you to turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. Okay? Exodus chapter 20. Um, and I want to just read verse 8 for you. Out of all of the commandments, do you realize it's the longest one? Okay, it's the longest one out of all the commandments. It's very interesting. So you have the first three about God, no other idols, no images, all those kinds of things. Um, and you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. That's commandment three. And then we get to commandment four, and, and it says, um, Exodus chapter 20, says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall, uh, uh, you shall labor and do all your work. But the, the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughters or your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in, the, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. <gasps> That's a long one, okay? That is a long command. And I, and I just want you to understand, it is, it's interesting that we move from this focus on God to the fourth commandment, which deals with observing, observing the Sabbath day. And, and, I, and I just want you to understand, this command to reserve the Sabbath to the Lord is itself a gift of grace. You catch that? Now, grace is not something we normally define with the Sabbath day. Okay? Something given to us. God gave us the Sabbath day as a gift. Okay? He gave it to us as a gift. It's a gift of grace given to us. So not only are the, are the Ten Commandments rooted in the awe or our love for God, but also built into the commandments is a regular God-ordained, recharge for your awe tank. I'll just put it that way. Okay? I don't know about you guys, but I could be a workaholic. Okay? I could be a workaholic. This, this is not new in our culture. This is not new in mankind. You just read through the scripture. Read through the things that happen in the Bible. Read how many times God had to bring Israel back to observing the Sabbath. Why? Because built within us is the desire to get ahead, the desire to succeed, 
the desire to attain wealth, to, to make sure we're going to make it. How many of you believe that, um, that um, I can't retire till I know I'm okay? How many have ever said, come on, put your hands up, okay, until everything financially is secure? Okay, there's nothing wrong with that, my friends, but can I just tell you something today? This is a loving rebuke, okay? If you really believe that God is God and that God is the one who takes care of us and that God provides, then who are we really trusting in if we work every single day of our life? Okay, honestly, question that. I have to question that, okay? I have to question that. There's this built-in day that God has called us to set aside for our personal lives and our, our home lives and everyone that lives within our home and that we would abstain from any kind of work. It's really amazing that this is here. So God knows. Here's why. God knows how quickly that you and I forget him. He just knows. He knows how quickly we forget him. God knows that life in this fallen world is a day-to-day war of awe. In other words, what you and I will worship. He knows that. You know what, you guys? Teresa and I were already talking this morning about what we were going to do after church. And that's okay to some degree. But as soon as I think do, my mind goes into a whole nother warp drive. All right? And, 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 and here's the thing. What God wants us to do is to be with him. To be with him individually and to be with him as, in a, group, as a group of people. Okay? That is so, so very important. There is a day-to-day war for awe. God knows how easy and how easily we replace our awe of him with the awe of something that he has created. We live in the Northwest. You know the Northwest, okay, is the hot spot for outdoor activity in all of the United States. It is one of the hot spots, okay? Only when it doesn't rain, of course, but, okay. But even when it rains here, you can still do everything, all right? But there is so much to do out there. And God knows that. He, he knows what we wrestle with. God knows that awe of him constantly is at war with awe. And I'm just going to say awe of self because it's not the things we do. Okay, It's what, what we think will gratify us or satisfy us. It's our wants, our wishes, our desires. Okay, And so it's so important for us to understand that. All right, I only got 25 pages to go, so stay with me. No, just joking. All right, so, so as the creator who hardwired you and I, every aspect of our personhood, he knows that our obedience is fueled by worshipful awe. We just need a timeout. You know, parents, when you send your kids to a timeout, we use it for punishment, but the timeout that God gave us, the Sabbath, is a chance to refuel. Okay, kids, can I just talk to you today? Sunday is not boring. Because as soon as we say Sunday is boring, here's what we're saying. And I'm just going to be honest, because I was one of those kids. We are saying that God is boring. 
I'm just going to throw it out there. We are going to say that God doesn't matter in my life. Adults, the same goes for you today. The Sabbath, the time out, the time to refuel, to recharge with family and with one another is imperative in our lives. One of our dear sisters that's long passed away from our church here says, I don't know how people make it without God. That is so important for us to understand, folks. That is individually as well as corporately. It is so important for us to understand. So God commanded one day in every seven to be reserved for rest from our labors. And I just want you to say more than anything, folks, um, our day-to-day way of making a living. Okay? You know, I watch a a company right here in in Eatonville, working on the on today sunday and they never used to work and 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 it just it, as i was driving down and uh, they, they were working and i am not going to say who it is okay it's it's just like i i was blown away by the fact that here's a company that somehow thinks that the only way they're going to exist is if they work 7 days a week that they're the only way they're going to survive okay, this is a national company okay not a small company Okay, so, so God is, is challenging us to work six days and to take one day off for personal and, and corporate reflection and worship of him. So you could argue um, that every element of our assembling together for worship of, God's, of, of God is intended to give you and I, uh, to give our awe back again. You, did you catch that? Because we lose it. We lose it. We, 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 we miss it. We need time to recenter and to refocus on the grandeur of God's glory and on God's grace. Here's some things that we need, folks. And, and I'm just going to tell you, you know what? I love outside. I love to hike. I love to hunt. I, love, I can say, well, that's where I meet God. And yes, you can meet God there. But I'm going to tell you, there's something missing in that equation. People. When you go to heaven, you're not going to tell God, I want to be by myself. And if you do, I want to be there and watch you say the words. Because it's not going to work real well for you. Okay? Actually, you won't even say them because those things won't even be in your heart. Okay? I'm being facetious. All right? But here's what happens in our refocus and the recentering. We need to see his awesome wisdom and power again. We need to dwell on his patience and his faithfulness again. We need to be stunned by the perfection of his holiness and the righteousness of his judgment again. We need to be encouraged with the truth of his word and his constant presence again. We need to be reminded to rest in his amazing sovereignty again. And we need to be blown away by the reality that by grace, He is all these things to us and much, much more. We need that. You need that. God has unleashed his awesome glory on us, for us. You see, worship of God doesn't just remind us of who he is. Here's the other thing that it does, because it does remind us of that. Okay, But here's what it also does. It redefines who you and I are as his creatures. Every time I come to church, I am recentered on God and others. That's it. 
Not only does he redefine you and I as his creatures, but he redefines us as his bud, his blood-bought children. So God calls us to rest, and God calls us to remember. So if the first four commandments instruct us and guide us in our vertical relationship to honor and keep God in his rightful place, then and only then will we ever understand what is required of us in our horizontal relationships with other people. You catch that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Only when we have this understanding and our need for God in its rightful place will people ever make sense to us. Will people ever make sense to us? Will people ever make sense to us? Amen. Okay? So the first order within this, it's very interesting to me, of, the, of, of human relationships begins in the home. It begins right smack dab in the home, where we are told to love and honor our father and mother, to love and respect them, knowing, knowing that we are completely dependent on them as we are of God, while submitting to their godly discipline and direction. Folks, I, I, I just want to say, if you are struggling at the human level, then I want you to just put that off the plate right now in your own personal life and meditation and just say, Lord, where am I at with you? Because only when you and I are right with God, and you, yeah, we can say, yeah, right, Pastor Dan, I'm not always completely 100% right with God, amen, neither am I. Okay, but God calls me. God calls me. God draws me. God calls me to repent when I've broken, when I've fallen. God calls me to rest at his feet. God calls me to be in his word. God calls me then out of that dependence and surrender to him, then to begin to live that out in my human life. And I just want you to understand men and women, moms and dads, young people, children, please understand that God must make sense to us in order for human relationships to make sense. And so when God calls us to honor our father and mother, guess where that comes from? From our honor of God. To the level that we honor God, we will honor our parents. If there's ever been a struggle in the world today, it's at that level right there. To the dishonor and the disrespect and the unbelief of God, there is dishonor and disrespect and almost unbelief of parenting, of parents. Okay? You know, parents are going, I hope my kids are listening. No, we're all kids. Okay? We're all kids today. We need to understand that the challenge of parenting, you know, honestly takes most of us by surprise. You know, we get used to the diapers and the late nights. We adjust to the new financial implications and the reordering of our schedules. And by the way, can I just tell you this, parents? You know why we haven't been so quick to just open up nursery and junior church again? Because kids, we just need church. We need everybody. Yeah, we will someday open up nursery, I promise you. I promise you that, okay? But here's the deal, okay? And, you know, maybe I'm being kind of old-fashioned here. I never grew up with nursery or church. In the Philippines, there was no such thing as nursery, 
Okay, can I just tell you something? When moms had to feed their babies, breastfeed their babies, they went to the back of the church and stood there and fed their babies. Everyone didn't go, oh. It was natural. When moms got up to, kids got fussy, moms got up in the back and walked their babies and walked them in the back. Sometimes other people grabbed their babies, took care of them. But it was just family. And I just want you to understand something here. When, when we understand schedule and the reordering of our schedules, kids' schedules are way more flexible than yours. And folks, we spend way too much time adjusting to our children. And guess what happens then? Then our children run our lives, not us running and directing our children. I just want you to understand that. I, I just hear that from a guy who never had kids but raised a lot of kids. Okay? I want you to understand that. So it's your duty to program them. Okay? Like going to church. You know, going to church was not an option in our family. It's what we did on Sundays. Okay? And yeah, I grew up in a pastor's home and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, but whatever. You know what? I've, going to church has just been a part of Sunday. That's just what we do. It's just a part of who we are. There's nothing more difficult than the first, but you know, in all of those struggles, there's nothing more difficult than the first time that you and I come face to face with our child's defiance. You ever been there? <laughs> Disobedience, just defiance. You know, there's a battle that comes from any number of issues, when to wake up, when to go to sleep, what to eat, what to wear, where to sit, you know, when to go to church, how to act. All of those things are all there. Okay, they're all there. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, again, just a reminder, New Testament to, from old to new. Children, obey your, uh, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he quotes the fifth commandment uh, with the promise that it may go well with you. It's the only command that has that in it, by the way, that it may go well with you. Okay? Um. Again, one of my authors, favorite authors, Paul Tripp, he uh, has written a lot of books on parenting. And uh, he begins one of his books by uh, in, of discussion by pointing to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. And he says, folly is bound in, up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And all the moms and dads go, amen, whack it, you know, whatever, you know, no, it just, it, Here's what the past, what God is saying. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And then he, and that folly is foolishness. And he explains it's foolish, uh, foolishness is what makes your child think he knows better than you do. That's folly. Folks, even as adults, sometimes we, we think we know better than someone else. And sometimes we do, but a lot of times we don't. So Proverbs makes it, it clear that firm, consistent discipline has to be an essential part of a parent's response to their children. But, but the author Paul Tripp also points out in Psalm 53.1 to show, uh, to sh uh, uh, Psalm 53.1 shows that the attitude of foolishness is not just the rejection of the parent's authority, but ultimately the rejection of God's authority. And it's not, I don't think it's uh, Psalm 53, but it's Psalm 14, I think, but which we read today. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
Okay? The fool says in their heart there is no God. So understanding the problems uh, uh, helps us to better see the solution. Discipline plays a crucial role, but we are encouraged as parents to accompany that discipline. And I'm going to give you four words as we wrap up this morning real quickly. Some things that I think are very important for us as parents and adults with our children today. And here they are. They're very important words. And the first one is glory. And here's, here's what I mean by glory. Children are born with the conviction that they are the center of the universe. Every child ever born. That includes all of us here today, you guys. We're born with the conviction that we were at the center of the universe. Okay? Our job as parents is to help them to be so blown away by God's glory as they find joy in submitting to his rule. You see, we need to point them to a different glory, a better glory, a greater glory, God's glory. Yes, they struggle. They think they're the center, but we need to help them be so blown away by the glory of God as they find joy in submitting to his rule. Creation, scripture, and our experience of God provide opportunities for us to testify that there is a great and glorious God who deserves our and their wonder and glad submission. We need to point them to God's glory. Second is wisdom. And again, as I say the word children, it's easy to look down to their kids, but we're all children. We've all been children. Children think they know all that they need to know. And we can chuckle and we can laugh at that. And sometimes parents, we respond in kind by arguing that, they, that we know what's best. And a stalemate ensues and, and, and it just continues here. And so what we really need to be doing is lovingly pointing our children to the wisdom of God's word. Okay, now that doesn't mean, and I've shared this story with you before. My dad was trying to help us understand that lying was not a good thing. And so dad said to Mark and myself, he said, well, you know, you know where liars go. And we're going, and I think dad was being facetious. We've talked about this since, but Mark says, well, what if they're saved? You got to laugh. Come on. You got to laugh at that. I mean, here we are, we're Christians, we, we've, we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we struggle with lying, right? And dad says, well, you know where liars go. And Mark says, this looks at him and calls his bluff. Well, what if they're believers, dad? And dad just kind of hung his head and just chuckled and goes, well, that didn't work very well. Because that's the manipulation of scripture. That's manipulating God's word. And that is not what we're called to do. Folks, we are called to bring them into the wisdom of God's word, the glory of God's word, with recognition that, that on the other side of the, of the coin in the garden, there's a serpent that, that makes foolishness attractive today, uh, as, just as he did back in the garden when he said, did God really say? Folks, the word of God will speak for itself. Let it speak. That's why reading the scripture together, you know, family devotions. Here's the deal. We're getting ready to open up these times of reading the word. Just read the word. 
Let the Word of God do its job. Let the Word of God in the Old and the New Testament and the Psalms and the Proverbs do its job. Let God speak. And then you can ask questions. How did God speak today? What did God show you today? What was God saying to you today? What stuck out in your mind in this passage? That's all you need to ask. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to have conversations that will not end. And pretty soon mom's going to say if you're at the dinner table, okay, it's time to wash the dishes. Wisdom. We need to point them to God's wisdom. The, sec- the third thing is story. Our tendency as parents is to preach sermons to correct our children's behavior. And again, the author Paul Tripp says, instead, encourage, uh, uh, he encourages us to work at telling our children about Jesus and about his desire for us. Tell God's story. Folks, the story of the Bible is a story of redemption, the story of rescue, the story of transformation, the story of being of God bringing us back to be with him forever and ever. That's an amen. That's God's story. Here's his intended plan. Here's what sin did to it. Here is the whole rest of scripture in its restorative message for us. It is God's story that our kids need to see and to hear. Children, uh, hear what we repeat, and it's only the things that we emphasize that take root. Okay? So children need to hear how our sins merit God's unflinching justice, but instead of abandoning us, he provided a means of rescue through the death and the burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what our kids need to hear. We need to look for opportunities to share God's story of redemption and connect it with real life issues that our kids are going through so that they can see and know God. You know, one of the things that I grew up with in my generation is that the God of the Bible does not fit culture today. Does not fit the issues of today. Does not fit the struggles of today. My friends, the word of God is unending. And we need to treat it that way. And our kids need to see that and they need to understand that. No, we don't need to pull out the Bible and preach to our kids. We need to tell the story of God again and again and again. Folks, there's one thing in my life I'm going to tell you right now that I will never, ever question in my life, and it is the sovereignty of God, that God is in absolute control. If there is one thing that I learned growing up, it is that, that God is God of all. He is Lord of all. He is in control of all. He's not missed the the memo. He is in control of everything, every person, every situation, every circumstance, all of history. God is moving, and God will bring it to an end. I believe that with all my heart. So it doesn't really matter what I'm going through in the moment because I know that God's in control. That has been indelibly implanted in my heart. Never once have my parents ever said, because of bad things, even the loss of my little brother, God is not good. I'm just saying it, folks. God is good even in the midst of the tough. 
God is there in the midst of the hardship. God is there when it all else seems to be failing. God is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto thee. He is good. We need to tell that story. The last thing that I just want to say is we need to welcome. That's the, that's the word welcome. It is easy to respond to our child's defense with an expression of hopelessness like I give up. You ever been there, parents? I give up. Okay? Often parents feel hopeless and they, and they communicate the same with their children. Not only to, you know, I've, I've heard this. I don't know what to do with you. I've heard those words. That is not what I need to hear from my dad or mom. I don't need to hear those words. I give up. I don't know what to do with you. We may feel that way, okay? And so in that process, we, we ex, uh, you know, in the, in, in the, of exchanges, there's, there's, there's condemnation and, and harsh words and, uh, or, or words of condemnation that come out. And, and, and while God employs both discipline and, and rebuke, I want you to understand God, God doesn't shy away from that, okay? He responds to sinners this side of final judgment, and it does not end with condemnation. As believers, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Folks, your kids are going to blow it. I'm just going to tell you that right now. If you don't know that, it's going to happen. Okay? You are going to fail. That is reality. We are going to fail. We are going to struggle. We are going to rescue. Here's the word welcome. God welcomes uh, the sinner, this side of final judgment, and, he, and it does not end with condemnation. Rather, he always leads the sinner into invitation. 1 John 1, 9. If you confess with your mouth, what? Okay, if you confess with your mouth, I, I'm not trying to say it right. Um, the, uh, no, not if you confess with your mouth. First uh, John 1, 9. There you go. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, was that verse written to unbelievers? First John, John was not written to unbelievers. It was written to believers. Why? Because God knows we're going to fail. God knows we're going to sin. And there's a welcome. There's a welcome. Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. There's a confession of sin. There's a welcome. So we are urged to regularly express words of gospel welcome. We can welcome children to confess their sins, to seek forgiveness, and to receive God's help. Folks, understand what I'm saying. Okay, and I, I missed this growing up. Okay, I was more convinced that if I got mom and dad's approval that I would be okay. And so my confession went to mom and dad before it ever went to God. And I have suffered with that since then. Because to me, sometimes getting the approval and the acceptance back from people becomes more important to me than God. And it's backwards. There's a need. God welcomes us to confess. And our kids need to know that they need to be quick to understand 
what they've done in their sin and their failure, and they need to understand that they have, have hurt God, that they have broken their relationship with God, and they need to come and they need to pour out their sin. They need to confess to God. Then and only then, then confession with parents makes sense or confession to my siblings makes sense. One of the classic invitations is Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, and I'm almost done here. And, and here's what God, he welcomes the defiant child, Cain. And he says this, he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? This is God speaking directly to Cain in Genesis. If you do well, will you not be accepted? By whom? Him. By God. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it or you must master it. Folks, that's the battle that you and I are in every day. And God is, in, in, is giving the welcome. You know the right thing to do. You know the right thing to do. And so when we welcome our children to repent, we partner with God in what he is seeking to do in their lives and in our lives as well. To restore and to transform us into the image of his very son, Jesus Christ. That's his goal, transformation. Restoration from the inside out. And so my friends, this morning, as we wrap up these two commandments, one, as we move from our vertical relationship with God to our relationships with people, we find four and five coupled here, right in the middle. Four. Fourth, on the Sabbath day, we spend time in public and private worship of God, rest from routine employment, service to God and others, and participate, uh, and so anticipate the eternal Sabbath. Folks, do you understand that someday we will experience eternal Sabbath, eternal rest? That is amazing. And fifth, that we love and honor our father and mother, submitting to their godly discipline and direction. So as we learn to love and honor and rest in God above all else. The first human relationship is family, and it follows close behind. And it says, children, honor your father and mother, for this is right. Let's pray. Father, um, one of the things that I am uh, personally convicted about is, as we go through this, not that one commandment is more convicting as, than the other, but Lord, when they all began to be coupled together, Lord, first and foremost, I just want to say thank you. Lord, thank you that you did not leave us without a plan or a direction. God, thank you that you gave your commands so that we might know how to know you and love you and honor you and seek you and depend on you and trust you and follow you. And Lord, as we do that, Lord, then it moves right into our human relationships and how we seek and honor and love and submit to and obey and trust. Lord, it is all so fabrically woven together in a beautiful tapestry. And God, we just want to say thank you. And Lord, this morning as we come before you, 
God, we ask for your forgiveness. God, we ask for your forgiveness for being so short-sighted. God, so how quickly we forget. Lord, how, how quickly we are drawn to your created rather than you, the creator. God, forgive us. And God, we just pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds individually and as a body of believers. God, help us to understand our need for you and our need for each other. Lord, help us to know and to walk with you and to walk with others. Lord, we ask that you would just build us up. God, make us the church that you want us to be. Make us the moms and dads, the kids, the young people that you want us to be. Lord, someday we will experience eternal Sabbath rest with you. But until that day, we are on an incredible, amazing journey. And Lord, I just want to say thank you that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete that work in Christ Jesus. God, thank you that that Jesus in us helps that become a reality, makes that a reality. And we want to say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just as we're seated.